Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor David Eldridge. All right, Mark 7. So we said before, Mark, the big idea, Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and we're to follow him. That's the whole book is geared around that, revealing Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God, and encouraging us to follow him. At the end of chapter 6, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago, we see the divinity of Jesus. He feeds 12,000 people with one boy's lunch, and he walks on water. And it looks like we're trending in this direction of Jesus maybe revealing himself more fully, but then chapter 7 takes a pretty hard turn, and we find Jesus in controversy with the Pharisees, those are the religious leaders, in controversy with them again. So a little foundation to maybe help Mark 7 make a bit more sense to us. It seems very far removed from our context. So uh, primary understanding, the way to maintain relationship with God is by obedience, by obeying the law. That's what keeps us connected to God. Jews did not believe that they worked their way to heaven. They knew that they were chosen, but there was an understanding that obedience is what keeps us in relationship. And I wouldn't necessarily disagree with that. So uh, what does obedience look like? Well, it's following the law. What is the law? There's a written law, and that's what we find in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. There's 613 commands, primarily in those five books. And so that, that's, that's the written law. And as we read our passage, Jesus will say things like, that's the commands of God. That's a phrase that he'll use. And he's referring to, again, the written law that's in those first five books of the Bible. But over time, well-meaning, I believe, well-meaning rabbis, well-meaning religious leaders, religious scholars, they were asked questions. How do we actually do this? And so as they answered those questions, the best answers got passed down. And over the course of generations and then even centuries, you had this body of, it's called oral tradition that was put around the law. And so it's, it's, it's significant. There, there's a lot to it. And, and, and the idea is if the written law says, here's what you do, then the oral law says, here's how you do it. So for instance, the written law says, honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. That's great. What does that mean? Like, how am I actually supposed to do that? Don't do any work on the Sabbath. That's one of the, again, that's a, that's a command in, in Exodus and Deuteronomy. Great. Well, what exactly is work? If my job is to stay home, so women worked in the home, they managed the house. So if that's my job is to cook, am, am I supposed to not cook one day a week? And so they would answer that question. Well, what about if it's harvest time and I'm a farmer? Am I really supposed to let crops sit on the, sit out there, you know, potentially getting Overwrite. What am I supposed to do? And so they answered those questions. So there's actually 39 things that they said you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath, down to the number of steps that you could take, how far you could walk before it became work. Very detailed. Again, original heart was great. We want to help you obey. The idea is obedience keeps us connected to God. So we want to know not just what to do, but how to do it. And we're going to help you do that. By the time of Jesus, it was super convoluted and super complex. And for the Pharisees, the written law and the oral law were now on par with each other. They were equally authoritative. So what you read in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers and Deuteronomy, that's just as binding as the, the interpretation of rabbi whoever that got passed down. And so there, there's a lot to keep. It's 613 is a lot. You got a lot more than that that you're dealing with at this point. So in our passage, Jesus and the Pharisees are kind of banging heads on 
the tradition of the elders, that's the oral law. Your Bible may say tradition of men. It may say your tradition, but that idea, this oral law that had been passed down, that now was seen as binding with the written law. What's in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Okay. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled. That's unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews don't eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders, so to the oral law. When they come from the marketplace, they don't eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it's written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. That's a key verse for us today. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You've let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. Jesus continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Korban, that is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down. And you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it's what comes out of a person that defiles them. And he left the crowd and entered the house. His disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, Jesus asked, don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. And saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it's from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. So issue, the disciples aren't washing their hands. This isn't your mom telling you to wash up before you come to dinner. The issue is not hygiene, it's holiness. So if there, there, the, the idea is there's things out there that can defile us, that can make us unclean. That is, that it makes us unholy. It makes it where we can't be in God's presence anymore. And that's what a lot of the Old Testament law is. That's why it seems so foreign to us. It's very difficult for us to get our mind around because we live on this side of Jesus. And so we just take for granted that stuff doesn't really, that stuff doesn't apply. Like you, you don't even think about it. When you're at a restaurant, you're not looking at a menu and going, is this food clean or unclean? You're just trying to figure out what you like. You're not saying, is this food going to separate me from God? Is this food going to defile me in any way? When you're going someplace, you're not thinking that. But this is, this is the understanding for 1,500 years that the, the Jews live with. And it's all, and, and a lot of it, it, it is, it's, it's Leviticus. That's why, again, for Leviticus, so many of us, is hard, for so many of us, it's so hard. It's, it doesn't make sense. Why, why can you not wear clothes that are a cotton polyester blend. Like, why can't you do that? The rules are not logical. They're, they're given by God and they're to be obeyed. That, that's it. Like if you're trying to find the thread that says, why this and not this, you're not going to find it because it's not there. It's, it's God saying, this is what separates you from everybody else. This is what makes you holy. I'm holy. I'm other. So you as my people, you're holy, you're other. And here's what makes you other. They eat bacon and you don't. 
They eat shrimp and you don't. They can wear blended clothes and you can't. They can plant two different types of seed in their field, but you're not going to do that. You're not going to work on Saturday. Those are the kinds of things that separate you from them that make you holy. And so again, if that's the idea, we want to be holy, then we put all these other rules around it just to make sure. There's nothing, if you read the Old Testament, there's nothing about washing kettles and pitchers and cups. That was all stuff that was added. But again, some of it with good intention to say, here, we want to make sure that we're not defiling ourselves. So all that to say, the disciples didn't do that. They come back from the market. They should have washed themselves. The market's unclean. There's Gentiles there. There's probably pork there. And so they should have washed themselves kind of just in case. And they didn't. And so the Pharisees say to Jesus, why, why are they doing that? That's a sin. They're, they're eating with defiled, with unclean, again, not dirty hands, with unholy hands. And then Jesus calls them hypocrites. That's a word from the theater. It's a mask wearer. So the idea is somebody is on stage and they're playing multiple parts. And so they have a different mask for each role. And so over time, that word hypocrite came to mean someone whose words and whose actions, words in life did not align. There's a, a misalignment between what they say and how they live. And Jesus says this from Isaiah, y'all are, y'all are honoring God with your lips, but your hearts are far from him. That's a picture of hypocrisy. You're saying that you want to obey God. That's what's coming out of your mouth. But what's coming out of your heart, it's not obeying God at all. And then he gives this example, which again is, is difficult for us to understand about this thing called korban. That's something dedicated to God. So men inherited, in general, women didn't inherit. So I'm the oldest son in my family. And so I would get two thirds of my parents' estate. My younger brother would get one third and my sister would, would get nothing. And so as the oldest son, part of my responsibility would be to take care of my parents, honor my parents. That's one of the top 10 commandments, right? Honor your father and mother. There's no social security. There's no IRAs. There's no pension. There's no 401ks. If you're not working, you're not eating. So when my parents are too old to work, part of my responsibility is to take care of them. But if what I say about what is mine, either what I've inherited from them or what I've made on my own, if what I say is that's core bond, that's all it takes is me just saying that phrase, then that money is then considered dedicated to God and it can't be used for them. So what if I do, like, parents, think how many times your kids have said something just kind of flying off the handle at you. They don't really mean it. They're just being teenagers or they're just being 20-year-olds or 45-year-olds, whatever. They're just saying it. That becomes binding. They're basically, I'm not helping you. They can't undo that. Something that somebody says rashly. At this time, it, later, you could, undo, not during Jesus' time. It couldn't be undone. It was considered an irreversible vow. So in order to obey the tradition of the elders, which is, well, you called that korban, you dedicated that to the Lord, so it's only for him. I'm actually disobeying the written law to honor my parents. So far from helping me obey, the tradition of the elders is actually helping me disobey. The, the, the wording in the NIV is not quite as strong as Jesus. What he, he's, when we're reading in verse 9, it's talking about observing and rejecting. The idea actually is pulling down and building up. You're pulling down the, the law of God, and you're building up another law in its place. You're replacing one with the other. This stuff, it's not helpful anymore. And that's just one example, Jesus says. I can give you more. 
You do all kinds of things like that where people can obey your traditions and that actually helps them disobey what God has revealed in Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. Doesn't make any sense. And then he says, nothing that's outside of you can make you unclean. That doesn't make you unholy. It doesn't defile you. It's what comes out of you. And he pulls the disciples away, which is something that he does often in Mark in order to give them more information. And they're saying, like, what did you just say? Again, 1,500 years for them of what's out there defiles you. You got to be careful about what you eat. You got to be careful about who you touch. You got to be careful about where you go. You've got to be careful about the condition of your own skin. There, there are conditions that you could have that would make you unclean. You got to be, you got to be on the lookout. There's a lot of stuff out there. You got to wear the hazmat suit because there's a lot of things that can contaminate you. And now you're saying that it's what's out there is not what makes us unclean. It's what comes from our heart. Again, for us, that's almost cliche, but it's because we're on this side of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. This is 1,500 years from the time of Moses until, the, until Jesus' life of, of the Jews believing, because it's written. Like this, is, this goes beyond tradition of the elders, what's written in the Old Testament. Eat this and don't eat this. You can't touch a, a corpse or, or this is the rules. If somebody has this rash, then these are the rules. All kinds of, and Jesus said, no, none of that revolutionary. And so they're going, you got to help me with this. And he just says, it's, it's what comes out of your heart. That's where evil thoughts arise. Your heart's a place where your mind and your will and your emotions all reside. It's, you live out of your heart. It's the center. It's the core of who you are. And Jesus is saying, from there, that's where, that, that, it's the stuff that comes out of there that defiles you. Food, it just goes to your stomach and is gone. But what comes out of you, that's what's actually in you. And that's what you got to be aware of. Now, what he doesn't say is what you do, how you deal with it. If, if, if what defiles me is out here, then I can avoid it. And if I can't avoid it, I can just take the steps to clean. I can do the right hand washing and take the ritual bath and I'm okay. But if the issue is actually my heart, well, I don't know how to get away from that. That comes with me everywhere I go. And I don't know what to do about that. And Jesus doesn't answer the question here. But the rest of the New Testament does. A couple of things for us. Those two places in Mark 7 where Jesus talks about the heart. We'll look at the second one first. For it's out of the heart that evil thoughts arise. And then all of these things, he lists 12 sins. We're not going to talk about those 12 sins. The first six are behaviors. The second six are attitude. And so what you've got there is Jesus, all of it. That's where all of it comes. Evil dispositions, wicked dispositions, unholy dispositions, evil, wicked, unholy behaviors. All of that stuff is rooted in your heart. We've said this before, the good news is not that Jesus came to make good people better. And it's not even that he came to make bad people good. The good news is that Jesus came to bring dead people back to life. Our issue is not. We're basically good people. We just need a little guidance and direction. Our issue is that we're fundamentally sinful people and we need a heart transplant. And for many of us, we know that. We're not living that. We're like the Pharisees in some ways. And we're saying, just give me, I, everything's out here. I'm going to work on some behaviors. 
I'm going to try to change some attitudes. It's self-help with a Jesus sticker on it. It's not a recognition. The issue, it's what, this is my issue. And the cure is a heart transplant. That's that's, that's, an, that's an image of salvation. I have a stony heart. I have a hard heart. And the Father replaces it with the heart of flesh, with a soft heart. That's what we all need. Managing our behavior. It's big in the Bible Belt. If, if nobody's born a Christian, you may have been raised in church, but you were not born a Christian. None of us are. We're all adopted into his family. None of us are born that way. But living in the Bible Belt, it's easy for us to think, well, I'm a pretty good person. I go to church, maybe I've been baptized, and I just need a little help along the way. You don't just need a little help along the way. You're dead, just like I was, just like the other people in this room were. And we need to be brought back to life. And the good news is that's what Jesus does. It would actually be horrible news for us if it was just do better, just do better, just do better, because we can't at least not for very long, and not in the ways that are probably the most important. But you know that. That's the good news. Not good people better, not bad people good, dead people back to life. Many of you are following him. You've recognized that. You've said yes. But again, there's this tendency that we have to push things out and to make issues out here rather than in here, even though we know I've been born again. I've received this new heart. When it comes to growing in our faith or becoming more like Jesus, and we can tend to push all of that into externals. Not super helpful. Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart for it's the wellspring of life. Guard your heart because out of it flows everything that you do. You live out of that core of who you are, where your mind, your will, and your emotions come together. That's what you live out of. And we need to guard that. And you may say, well, why do I need to guard it? I've got a new one. And so that sounds a whole lot like the tradition of the elders. It sounds like you're just, you're telling us to put some rules around. It seems like we should be okay. If we get this new heart and we live out of our heart, then shouldn't everything that comes out of us be good? You got to live for about a minute to know that's not the truth. We do receive a new heart, but we still live in this fallen world. Maybe helpful to think of your heart as a field. God plants good seeds, which will produce good fruit. The enemy wants to plant bad seeds, which produce bad ones. And just walking through this world. You know those little hitchhikers that stick on your shoes? That's what you get when you walk through a fallen world. Stuff just sticks to you. Just because you're living in a world that's fallen and with people like you and me who are sinful. Just walking through your day, stuff is going to stick to you. I'm not even talking about the work of the devil at that point. Just life. And if we're not intentional about pulling those hitchhikers off, they never come off. You know that. You've had them on your shoelaces before. You've got to pull them off. And the same thing is true spiritually. You've got to pull those things out. You have to deal. They don't just go away. That's not to scare you. It's just reality. The bumps and the bruises and the knot, all that stuff, it sticks to us. And if we're not intentionally pulling those things off, they're going to produce bad fruit. They're going to take root, they're going to grow, and they're going to produce bad fruit in our life. At some point, for all of us, we need to take responsibility for what's coming out of us. The words, the attitudes, and the actions. You make me so angry. Nope. You make you so angry. It's true. 
It's true. What's in here comes out. And we want to blame. That's human nature. It's not true, ultimately. The reason you're angry is because of something in your heart. I may be poking, but if there wasn't any th- anything there to poke, then you, went, you wouldn't explode. It, it's just traffic. No, it's just you. It's just you. The reason that you are, that it's because you're not patient. There's something in you. And so let's look at that. She just gets under my skin. She just knows the right things to say. Again, that may be, there may be some, some poking there. But the reason those things are coming out is because it's in you. You've heard Russell and Chad the past two weeks talking about contentment, talking about generosity, giving, greed, all those things are, it's not just because we live in an affluent culture. It's, there's, there are things in our hearts that, that, that it, it's in there. That lack of contentment, it's not because we live in an affluent area. It's me. It's because of my own heart. If you want something someone else has, it's not because they're flaunting it. It's because of the covetousness in your own heart. They may be wrong too. But blaming is not helpful. We need to take responsibility for what's coming out of us. And the only way that I know to do that, again, it's, it's not just trying to pull the fruit off the tree. It's like, let, let's figure out what the root of this is. What's actually causing this? Your emotions can be a great dashboard because most of the time you can't filter them. So when you're feeling something, if there's a way for you to say, what, what is that? Why am I feeling that? Why did I respond that way? That's not easy in the moment. It feels way better just to vent. But to try to step back, and say, what, what exactly does that indicate? The only way, I, again, I, you may have a better idea. The only way I know to do that is to intentionally walk through your day with God. Most of us live looking forward. We finish Sunday thinking about Monday. We finish Monday thinking about Tuesday. Tuesday thinking about Wednesday. Most of us don't finish Monday looking back at Monday. Some of you may. But I feel like most of us are future-oriented, which is... Nothing wrong with that other than then you're just bringing the hitchhikers into the next day. So there's got to be a place to stop and say, did, anything, did, I, did I pick up anything today? Did anything stick to me? And that takes some intentionality. So for me, my, my place, this is not the most environmentally friendly. I do it in the shower. I sit down in my shower and I just try to think back through my day. Just like five or seven minutes, even Maybe if there's a drought, I won't do it. But for right now, that's what I'm doing. And I just, I try, I try to think back and go, okay. And you have to do it with the Lord. It's not enough to do it on your own and say, okay, where did I respond in a way that wasn't great? Even if I had the self-control to not kind of externalize that, where, when was I getting stirred up as I look back? And then not just, okay, or not even just forgive me, but why? Like, what's the root of that? What's going on there? I'm not trying to psychoanalyze myself. I'm just trying to say, if there's a, if there's a bad seed, I want it pulled out. The, if I don't want apples, then I need to not have an apple tree. And so if there's things that are, that are being produced in my life and I don't like, I need to get rid of the tree instead of just pulling the fruit off every day. It's exhausting. I, I don't... 
I don't know another way of doing that. And so I would encourage you. For me, by the time I go to bed, I'm too tired. So I just, I don't think, it's hard for me to kind of go back through my day at night. But some of you may be better at that. Some of you may be able to do it the next morning. But I can't. I'm, again, I'm kind of looking forward. Does anybody in here do the daily examine? Awesome. Nobody at nine does either. We're not, and neither do I. But I read about it. And so I'm thinking, here's our challenge. I want you to do it this week. Seven days. Kim will send you something tomorrow, or she'll post it or whatever. That'll have some, it, it, what it is, it's an intentional looking back. And for some of us, we need the structure. It's three or four or five questions. It's not like a formalized prayer. It's just, here's a way of examining that your, your day with the Lord. And so let's just try it and see if it works. There's got to be a place for that, I think. Otherwise, I feel like you're taking the hitchhikers forward and they're going to take root and they're going to produce bad fruit. We're responsible. We are. We're responsible for our hearts. We're told to guard them. And that's part of it. Like you got you to gotta live in this world and we're called to do that. Staying in a, again, the spiritual hazmat suit, it doesn't work anyway because the issues are our own heart. But we want to, I think, be able to interact and engage. And, and one of the ways to do that, again, is, is to then intentionally look back and say, did I pick up anything I didn't? That's no good. Second thing, last thing. We're going to close with communion. Uh, you'll, the way we'll take that, you'll come forward down the middle row, break off a piece of bread, dip it in the juice, and then kind of go back down the sides. There's regular bread and gluten-free bread, and then some of the packaged communion, if you're more comfortable taking that. Um, I was thinking about that idea of when our lips are, we honor God with our lips, but our hearts are far from him. I was thinking about it kind of in light of communion so that's hypocrisy, which is a pretty bad word. Not, nobody wants to be labeled a hypocrite, kind of being authentic or genuine or true to yourself or whatever. That's kind of the, the value of the day. So to say you're a hypocrite, that's a pretty, that's a kind of, those are fighting words for a lot of people. But we all are, if you honestly, if, 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 our, if, if the goal is to be conformed to the image of Jesus, well, none of us, none of us are there. There's a gap between what we say and, and how we live. And there's always going to be a gap. And that gap is, this, is the space where I want us to think about today. Where, where are those gaps? Where do my words and my life not align? Now, I do think there are people who intentionally put on masks. Like you're just pretending. Your heart is not for the Lord, honestly. You're just playing. And so maybe you're... There's, there, you've figured out how to fool your parents or your spouse or your friends or who, you figured that out, kind of how to play the game. But if we could crack open your chest and we would look at your heart, there's not a desire in you to be more like Jesus. You're not interested in holiness. And honestly, you're really not in, even interested in love. You're just interested in pursuing your own agenda, fulfilling your own desires. That, that's what you want. That's an ugly way of saying it, but that's, that there are people who do that. And if that's you, like danger, 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 you're hardening your heart to the Lord. And at some point, he, what he says in order to bring you back in is if that's what you want, that's what you can have. And it's awful. 
And so if that's you, I would say, repent. Like, acknowledge that. Say, I'm a huge faker. And honestly, if I was honest, I would say, God, I don't even know if I want you. I don't know that I desire to be holy. I don't know that I desire to follow you for all of these reasons. But I would want to want those things. And he can begin to work in your heart. But for many of us, that's not the case. It's not this intentional faking it, which is what we think of when we think of hypocrisy. We think of someone who is intentionally putting on a mask. And again, there's some of that. And if that's you, I would just say, repent. Hypocrisy is not the unforgivable sin. God can capture your heart if you'll let him do that. But for many of us, it's just lettuce in our teeth and we can't see it. There's a gap between what we say and how we live, but we're not aware. And I think that's where a lot of the Pharisees were. I think they just didn't get it. They completely missed Jesus when he showed up 100, and that's on them 100%. But I think for some of those guys, like they were were trying. Like they thought, hey, if, if I just need to wash my hands more. I just, I got to do a better job at making sure, you know, at one point Jesus says, you guys, y'all are tithing your spices, the spices that are growing on your back deck. You're giving 10% of the mint and 10% of the dill and 10% of the, like you're doing that. That's how, that's how focused they were on the law. Now you're neglecting justice and mercy You're straining out a gnat, the smallest unclean animal, but you're swallowing a camel, the largest unclean animal. I don't know that they saw it. And I think that's where some of us are. Like we have lettuce in our teeth. We just don't know. And so we want to give the Lord an opportunity to convict us this morning. I was thinking about the Roe v. Wade being overturned on Friday. One of the knocks against the church, and we need to own some of it, capital C Church, is that we're more pro-birth than we are pro-life. Have the baby and then figure it out. Have the baby. I hope it's going to be okay. And this is an opportunity for us to say, no, we want our words and our lives to align. We're pro-life, not just pro-birth. Any decision that results in more life and less death, we're going to celebrate. And hopefully that's what that decision will do. And yet there are going to be people. There are certainly, certainly women who have abortions as a means of birth control or for convenience. But there are certainly, 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 certainly women who have abortions because they can't figure out. How to move forward with a kid. They're not married, most of them, 85%. They don't, see, they don't have any money. They don't know how to move forward. And that's the only option they see. And for us, as the church and being part of the church, what does it look like for us to say, yes, adoption, Yes, foster care. Yes, working with First Care Women's Clinic. And yes, let's deal with some of the issues that are putting women in these positions in the first place. People are responsible for their choices. But we can help. We can come, we can go before, we can be next to, we can be underneath, we can be behind. It's a chance for us to align this, our words pro-life with our actions which again, for some of us have been more just, well, I just vote for people with R after their name because that means they're gonna, you know, they're gonna put the right justices in place. And that, that's all fine. 
But there's more to it than that. And this is an opportunity for us, again, to, to bring that alignment, a greater level of alignment. We don't want to honor God with our lips when our hearts are far from him in this it's just, a, it's just a, for instance, corporately for us. And so we want to take a, a, a minute and do this individually, personally. So you guys can stand. I have two prayers I want us to pray. So this first one is just kind of the show, search our heart prayer. So we're going to pray this together out loud. And then we're going to take a minute and just ask the Holy Spirit to show us, where am I being a hypocrite? He's not going to show you 12 areas, maybe one. He's not going to overwhelm you, just one. And, and again, that label is, is harsh, but I want to use it. It's the biblical word. But I want you thinking of it in terms of where are my actions and my words not fully aligned? And that's for all of us. There's going to be places. So let's pray this out loud together if you're willing to do so. Search me, God. Show me my heart. Test me and show me where I may be honoring you with my lips but my heart is still far from you. See if there is any offensive way in me. So be quiet for a minute. Okay, if, if the Lord brought something to your mind and you're willing to repent of it, you would like. So for me, you know, I say I want to be led by the Holy Spirit. And most of the time I do, unless what he's leading me to do is inconvenient. And then I pretend that, that's, that he's not talking to me. So like that's the, that's the one for me. Like that's hypocrisy. My life is not aligned with my words. And so if he brought something to your mind, I would just say, confess. God, I confess that I'm a hypocrite in this area and you fill in that blank. And I repent. I pray that you would forgive me and I want to receive the forgiveness that you've made available to me through Jesus' death and resurrection. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would empower me to bring a greater level of congruence and integrity to my life. Let's pray these prayers together. God, give me clean hands. I pray that I would do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but that everything I say and all I do would glorify you and bless others. God, give me a pure heart. I pray that all that I say and all I do would flow out of a renewed heart that is saturated with your great love and captivated by your perfect holiness. Thank you for listening to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. 